Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 says, and this is Paul speaking to us, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. I'd like to speak to you if the Lord would bless about some characteristics of a godly father, of a godly father. I'm always looking for uh, the Lord to impress, whether it's through the reading of his word, whether it's through prayer, through a conversation with individuals or something that I might see or something that I might read that will trigger uh, a thought of what the Lord would have me to speak about. And sometimes it's an experience. Sometimes it's something I read in God's word. Sometimes it's uh, a particular need or something that... Uh, that I might think uh, that God's word would address that would help individuals. But i tell you how this came about. I don't always share uh, conversations that I overhear, but this one was so precious that it's worthy of sharing with you. The other day, I overheard a conversation between Charlotte and Lena. And they were talking about what they were looking for in a godly husband. And one of the first things they said, uh, I, I'll get mixed up on, the, on which one said what, but one of the first things they said was, well, I want a husband that loves the Lord. Amen. And the other one said, I have a desire to help the poor and the orphans, and, and I'd like my husband to at least have the mindset to be able to help me help the poor and help the homeless. And another one said, I, wanna, I want a husband that is going to be at church. And so hearing this conversation of these little ones going back and forth, then all of a sudden, Laura speaks up and she said to Lena and Charlotte, if you'll find somebody just like daddy, you'll have it all. Now, doesn't that speak volumes? Isn't that about the greatest desire that you could want? Is for your children to see you following the Lord and have a desire to follow you in following the Lord. Let's look at some traits of a godly father. Of a godly father. Jesus Christ was asked, what's the, uh, in Matthew chapter 22, what's the greatest commandment of all? What's the, the, the most important commandment? What's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus Christ answers, it says in verse 35, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. One of the first and greatest blessings of a godly father is that he loves the Lord. That he loves the Lord above 
everything else. That everything else in his life is, is second to his love for the Lord. That he loves the Lord above everything. In fact, if you go over and read in 1 Samuel, you can read about an old priest, uh, Elkaniah. And it says that not only did he love the Lord and serve the Lord, but it said that he was always present in the Lord's house to honor the Lord. It said when the, it says he rose up early and was at the Lord's house to honor the Lord. And if you go over into the, and it talks about how that he provided for his family and things like that, but it goes over in the latter part of the chapter. And it also says that he rose up early to go to honor the Lord. And it says he took his family with him. It's an interesting point that he made right there. But the first point about a godly father is that he loves the Lord. He, he, may, he may miss some other areas. There's not a perfect father. You may be looking at your own life or you may be looking at the life of your father or your grandfather. And you say, well, I can see where there's some areas that he missed the mark. Well, this is probably the most important thing of all is that he loves the Lord above everything else. That he wants to serve the Lord, that he wants to honor the Lord, that he wants to direct his family in the ways of the Lord, and that above everything else, he loves the Lord. It also mentions, and this is uh, another trait of a godly father, is that he loves his wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, he tells us how much he loves his wife. The first, the first, uh, the first principle is that he loves the Lord above uh, everything else. The second is that he loves his wife. And he tells us here how much he loves his wife. He uses, of all the examples that, a, that God can use, he uses the example of his son and his church as the example that he uses with a godly husband and his wife. He says in verse 25 of chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He begins to talk about how much he loves his wife. He says, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, comparing himself, the example of a godly husband, loving his wife to the example of, a, uh, of, of Christ and his love for his people, the church and the sacrifice that he was willing to make and did make on behalf of those that he loved. Verse 28 says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. He says, For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. He says, For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, be joined unto his wife. The two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and his wife see that she reverence her husband. 
So the second thing is that not only does a godly father, a man that honors the Lord, does he love the Lord, but he loves his wife. And he's willing to put her before himself. That he loves her above himself. And he's willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of his wife. The, the third one is the example of a godly father is that he actually not only loves the Lord, not only loves his wife, but he loves his children. He loves those that God has entrusted in his care. I, I like this example. This is, this is so, so good in um, Genesis chapter 33. Uh, just an excellent example right here of, of Jacob and giving credit where credit's due for the ones that God had given him for his uh, for his family, for his children, for the provisions, for everything that God had given him. As we enter into this uh, chapter and we begin to read about Jacob, uh, his, his brother Esau, uh, they had been at odds uh, with each other for years. And uh, Jacob is now about to pass through uh, where uh, Esau lived. And, and he was actually concerned for the welfare, welfare of his life and the welfare of his children. And so before he comes uh, uh, and, and meets his brother Esau, he sends a bunch of presents to his brother. And, and if you've had um, uh, discord with ones in your family, that might be a real good example to consider. That uh, in order to make things right, that you uh, send a present before. That might be a good gesture. That's the gesture that Jacob did in going to meet Esau. But they had been uh, at, at odds for, for years. And here there were two brothers that uh, had not, uh, uh, maybe they'd missed out on the many blessings that were there in each other's family. I, I had an experience in my family years ago. This has been uh, 50 years ago, so, and it was in Texas, so I can share about it. But there were uh, two uh, sisters in my family that, uh, that were uh, great aunts, the age of my great aunts. They were old. And they were at odds with each other, two sisters, for, for many, many years, for over 25 years. And I didn't, I found out later that I had cousins that I didn't even know about. And it was so sad because I missed out on that wonderful fellowship in those early years. And, and I've come to find out that these cousins that I didn't even know about because the parents were at odds with each other for years, I missed out on a whole lot of blessings. And this one particular cousin is one of my favorite cousins at this point. She's also a primitive Baptist. And I didn't even know that she was uh, related to me for many, many years. Well, I want to give the young children a charge. Right now, you have a wonderful example of when you get upset with each other or you get at odds with each other. Before the, the day's over with, you've made up with each other. I want to give you young children a charge. These little ones that are here. Brother Cook's kids that are back here. When you grow up and you get older, you make abs. And Brother, Brother Ethan's children as well. There's a, a handful over there. That when you get older, that you make absolutely sure that there's not anything that's going to separate you and cause discord between you and your brothers and sisters. Because it's going to affect 
their children, your children, and others along the way. As a child of God, you pray that God will bless you to prefer your brother and your sister above yourself. Do like Jacob did. Go take a few presents and try to make it right. Esau hadn't even seen Jacob's children. He hadn't seen the offspring that Jacob had. And so Jacob doesn't know how Esau is going to respond as he gets up to him. He had taken some presents. He had tried to, to smooth the way, pave the way, if you will. And when he gets up there, he says that um, it says in verse, uh, if you want to go to chapter 33, it says that um, as they went, it says that as he passed over before them, he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. That's Jacob. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. That, that's a wonderful homecoming for two brothers right here. But it doesn't end there. After Jacob rose up from the ground, after he had embraced his brother, his brother embraced him. After they had fell on each other's neck and it says and kissed him and they wept. It says and he lifted up his eyes, Esau, and he saw the women and children. Esau looks up and he says, who are all these people? That'd be like all of Brother Cook's family getting together. And somebody saying, who are all these folks? These children. These grandchildren, these little ones. And Jacob, I think this is so precious how he responds here. And Jacob, it says, he lifted his eyes. He, uh, Esau saw the women and children. He said, who are those that are with thee? And, and I think this is so precious how he responds. He says, these are the children these are the children, these are the offspring, these are the children that God hath graciously given me. Jacob gave the Lord the credit for his children. A godly father loves the Lord. He loves his wife. And he loves his children. In uh, Philippians, uh, another blessing of a godly father is that a godly father is an example by his life. Look at what he says right here. He says, I press toward the mark. A godly father is pressing toward the mark. We'll see what that mark is here in a few minutes. But in loving, his, in loving the Lord, he's pressing toward the mark. In loving his wife, he's pressing toward the mark. In loving his children, he's pressing toward the mark. He's pressing in that direction. 
And then he comes down in verse 17 and he says, Brethren, be ye followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. A godly father is a godly example. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I learn things. It's much easier for me to learn something if I can learn by watching. I can read it, and sometimes I have to, um, because of whatever it is in my brain, I have to write it down in order to be able to comprehend it, or I have to write the points down in order to retain it. But if I can witness, or I can see an example, then it, it all of a sudden begins to fit, and it begins to come together. And what he's saying right here is that that, that we need to look for and we need to see and we need to be able to hold on to and we need to be able to grab some godly examples. And Paul is saying, you need to be a godly example and you need to look for godly examples. And a godly example will teach you a lesson. A godly example. Now, Brother, Brother Sonny Piles says, um, heard him make the statement, don't, uh, don't try to exercise influence where you don't have any. You ever try to do that? It just sometimes doesn't work. But did you know that as a godly father, you have influence over your children because God gave it to you. God gave you the responsibility of being a godly father. If you've been blessed with children, if you've been blessed with grandchildren, then it comes with the it comes with the calling that God has given you of being a godly father. Uh, so where Brother Sonny says, don't try to exercise influence where you don't have any. Many times that truly is the case. Uh, oftentimes we try to influence folks that maybe we, we don't have any influence on. But as a, as a father, you have that calling. You have that responsibility you have that role that was given to you by God. And also, you're accountable to God for that. Now, look at this in, in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 18. I like this right here. It says, uh, God is talking about Abraham. And he says, shall, in verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I shall do? And he's talking about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he comes down and he says, seeing that, I sh that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then this is what God says about Abraham. So this uh, gives you some encouragement. The world would have you to think that you don't have 
a role, that you don't have a responsibility, that children are supposed to, to raise themselves the way they want to raise themselves. If it feels good, do it. But God says that he calls and he equips fathers to have a responsibility and a role and, a, and an active role in the lives of the children. And it makes a difference. It makes a tremendous difference in the lives of the children if their dad is involved in their life. Look at what God says about Abraham. He says, for I know him. Well, sure he knows him. God knows all about Abraham. God knows Abraham's thoughts. Was Abraham a perfect father? Absolutely not. Was Abraham uh, holy and right all the times? Absolutely not. Did Abraham have struggles? Absolutely he did. But overall, Abraham was setting his mark on serving the Lord as he raised his children. And this is what God says about Abraham. He says, for I know him and I know that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham. That's which he hath spoken of him. You think that meant that Abraham didn't have any challenges in raising his kids? Absolutely not. I imagine Abraham had challenges that you probably can't imagine. But Abraham had his sights set on the Lord. And Abraham was directing his children in the way of the Lord. And the Lord said, I know Abraham. And this one thing I know about Abraham is that he's going to command his children after the way of the Lord. Now, it takes not only the influence of a godly father, but it takes the Lord. Even with all of your efforts, it takes the Lord. And where there's not a perfect godly father... The Lord can fill those gaps to overflowing himself. But a godly father is a godly example. Joshua chapter 24 says, Joshua said, and here's, this is right in line with what God says to Abraham. He says, I know that he's going to command his children in the way of the Lord. Here's what Joshua says in Joshua chapter 24. He says, And if it seem evil for you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that, that, that served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But he says, But as for me and my house, and here's where that influence and that responsibility kicks in again. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was simply saying right here that, that the ones that God has put in, uh, entrusted in my uh, leadership, in, in my provisions, that those that God has put in, uh, in, in my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. simply meant that 
Joshua was going to set that example himself that if you're in this house, you serve the Lord. Probably, probably there's there's such a there's the way that God has designed it. There's such a vital role for mothers, such a special and vital and and tender role that the mothers feel. And you can go over to to Proverbs chapter 31 and you can see the blessing of a godly mother and a godly wife. But I tell you, the role that God has given fathers and husbands is tremendous. You have the responsibility not only to your children and to your wife, to your spouse and to your grandchildren and to your family, but your responsibility and commitment is to the Lord. Is to the Lord. You're accountable to the Lord in how you set the example of a godly father. Joshua says, as for me and my house, he says, um, we're going we're gonna to serve the Lord. A godly father in Psalms chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall not prosper. It says that he's not tossed about by every wind of change that comes along. But he's steadfast. And young folks need to be able to see that steadfastness and that, and that stability. Uh, Paul mentions it again in uh, in Timothy. This is uh, this is really uh, good here in Second Timothy, Second uh, Timothy chapter two and chapter and the beginning and latter part of Paul says to Timothy he he entreats him almost as his uh, as his son in the ministry. He says, "Therefore, thou, therefore, my son, be strong in grace and." In, in Christ Jesus. And he encourages uh, young Timothy as a young minister. But then he, he mentioned some of the personal experiences that he had experienced that, that hopefully serve as a springboard of encouragement even to Timothy and to all godly fathers. And Paul was looking at Timothy as almost a, a, a son in the spirit, a son in the Lord. And, and here he gives him some a reference points to, to look at in in chapter three he says he says in verse ten but thou hast fully known my doctrine the children and the grandchildren need to be able to look at their father and their grandfather and they need to be able to be encouraged and strengthened because their father or their grandfather is strong in the doctrine of the Lord you need to know what you believe, and they need to know what you believe. It was the greatest joy and blessing that I received when I found out the doctrines of grace 
And I found out that my grandparents believed those doctrines, that my grandfather and my grandmother stood and held to those precious truths. And when I look back upon their life, even though they're now with the Lord, I have great joy in knowing that they, they held precious the doctrine of grace. Paul says, thou hast fully known my doctrine. They need to know what you believe. They need to know that it's important to you. They need to know that it is a priority for you. That, 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 that the Lord and the service of the Lord and his church is a priority in your life. And that you love the Lord and that you seek the Lord. And they need to know what, what you believe. Paul also said, he says, Thou hast known my doctrine, thou hast known my manner of life. Uh, Paul is basically saying that uh, whether you're in the service of the Lord, out of the service of the Lord, that our manner of walk, our manner of talk should honor the Lord. He says, Thou hast known my purpose. If you read about the Apostle Paul, no doubt it's very clear that Paul wanted to encourage others in the way of the Lord and in the way of Christ. And as you raise your children and your grandchildren, what a great testimony and legacy that, that you're building and that you're leaving when you're exercising the role that God has given you, the influence that God has given you to, to, to direct your children in the ways of the Lord. Paul said, they knew my purpose. Paul said, uh, they knew my faith. What a great blessing when your children can witness by your walk, by your life. The example of how that you lean on the Lord and you lean on the faith that God has given you for the trials that you endure in this life. That when trouble comes your way, when difficulty comes your way, you don't try to lean on your own strength, but you lean on the Lord. And when your children and grandchildren are seeing this great example of you leaning on the Lord in times of trial and times of difficulty, they're going to experience the faith that you have in the Lord. And it's going to be an encouragement to them. Paul says, Thou hast known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith. The next one. You say, well, maybe this one doesn't describe, describe me as I would like to be described. He says, thou hast known my purpose, my faith. Thou hast known my, uh, my long suffering. What does long suffering mean? Long suffering just simply means that you suffer long. It means that you labor long, that you labor hard, that you labor diligently. That you, that you take it to the Lord over and over again and you, you come before the Lord. And, and it also means that, that when we're reminded to quickly pass judgment on somebody else, when we think that we might, want to do that, we should be reminded of ourselves and our own struggles and difficulties and sins before the Lord. And when we do that ourselves, it makes us much more long-suffering, does it not, with other folks. That's one cure and one fix for long-suffering is to pray that God bless us to see our own shortcomings, our own weakness, 
the, uh, the errors of our own way, and then all of a sudden, we're much more long-suffering with others around us. I tell you, more and more, it's so apparent that before we pass judgment on a situation or somebody, we ought to pray for them, we ought to pray for ourselves, because we don't know what struggle or struggles that individuals are either dealing with or that they have dealt with in their life. And oftentimes we're quick to pass a judgment. Paul says, you've known my faith, you've known my purpose, my long-suffering. The next one that's a trait of a godly father is is charity. The next one is... um, is patience. Wow. I'm sure that I'm sure that Paul himself became impatient, but sometimes God through experiences teaches a measure of patience. Most people aren't born with an extra dose of patience. And oftentimes when we're young we don't have a whole lot of patience. I can remember when, when, uh, when it was uh, close to getting the, uh, the time to be able to get driver's license back in Texas. You could get them at 15 years of age. And, and I was so impatient that, that I went to the motor vehicle uh, about an hour before they even got there and opened the door. And I was so excited about being able to get my license that when they opened the door at 8 o'clock, I was the first one in line, and I can still remember hearing that lock click as they twisted the lock. Well, I was, that's not a good description of patience, but that is a good description of not being patient. You tack on about 30, 40 years, and all of a sudden you begin to learn a little bit more about patience. The experiences of life begin to teach us patience. Being able to not fix everything yourself teaches you patience. Being able to realize that sometimes that maybe it's not God's will at this time to deliver teaches us patience. And if we can ever, if we can ever get a hold of patience, it'll help us a whole lot in looking to the Lord. It, it'll take us from looking at our own self and wanting to fix things ourselves, to taking it to the Lord and giving it to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't know what you'd have me to learn in this. I don't know why you haven't fixed it or solved it, but I have to trust your sovereign will and your judgment. And Lord, I know you know what's best for me. And you know what's to your good, to you, to our good and your glory. Lord, Help me to learn patience. It's oftentimes that trials are what bring about patience in our life. Paul said, I'd like to, I'd like to, for you to know patience. And then he says, uh, persecutions and afflictions. The godly father teaches by a godly example. 
A godly father also is a, is a teacher, not only by example, but he teaches by God's word. He teaches by example. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. The godly father is a teacher by example and by God's word. If you go over to Proverbs, and which is so rich for young men to read good instruction about how to be a godly young man that you can read as the father entreats and, 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 and you can almost sense the urgency and the spirit to, to take heed to the father's commandments, take heed to the father's instructions. Hear God's word and let it be applied in your life. And you can you can almost feel how that there's such a, a burden and a desire and a yearning to take heed to the ways of the Lord. It's going to it's going to save you in this life. It's going to spare you in many roadblocks along the way. The godly father is. Is a. Is a godly. Teacher. A godly father also, and this one is uh, is one that you almost wish that this were not the case. But a godly father also is given the responsibility not only to train up and direct the child in the way that he should go, but a godly father is also given the God-given responsibility to discipline the child. To correct the child when the child is going the wrong direction. To redirect the child. To see the warning signs that are ahead and to, to turn the child from that course back onto the right course. Now, now I, I, I can assure you that there's not anybody that wants to sign up for chastisement. You just don't see folks lining up for that. In fact, if chastisement is coming, you probably want to be found somewhere else. When, when I knew that, that I had a, a spanking coming from my father, I tried, to, I tried to not be in his sight anywhere around. I was hoping he'd forget about it. And sometimes we're that way with the Lord. We're hoping that the Lord will forget about it. But the reason that the Lord chastens us and the reason that a, a father has the responsibility to chasten us is simply because he loves us. And he has that responsibility because of the love that he has for that child. And I'll just read this in uh, Proverbs chapter 3. He says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be, uh, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. You say, well, I don't like sometimes the chastening hand of the Lord. When you feel the, the pressure of the Lord or the chastening of the Lord upon your life. Well, rejoice to know that the reason that you experience the chastening of the Lord, that is an evidence that you're one of his and that he loves you. And that he wants, I, I don't like to use that term, God wants. God doesn't want anything, God does. When he speaks, it happens. He knows exactly uh, what it takes. God knows exactly what's required to turn us around, to change our course. 
our heavenly father, it talks about in, in Hebrews chapter 12. And he, he talks about and he compares the heavenly father chastening his children and comparing it to a natural father chastening his children. And he says the natural father, he might not 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 wanting to, but he might uh, he might either chasten too hard or too soft. He might possibly not chasten just right. But your heavenly father, he always chastens you just right. But children, God has given your dad and your mom the authority and the responsibility. And if they don't follow through with that, then they are chastened of the Lord in many ways. There's an old priest that was way up in his 90s and he had two sons and they were ungodly sons. And the Lord rebuked this old priest because he didn't correct his sons. He didn't want to hurt their feelings. He didn't want to upset them. He didn't want to hinder the relationship. I'll tell you what, when I was corrected, it hindered my relationship with my father. It did. It was not a relationship builder. But I look back and I see that it was necessary in my life. As much as I didn't like it at the time, I'm thankful that that's one area that my father... He was spot on. It was. God designed it that way. God knew exactly what it would take to change our course. And he gives the fathers the responsibility to direct their children in A godly father also disciplines. A... um, A godly father also leaves a a wonderful, wonderful heritage to his children when he's gone. He leaves a great heritage to his children and his grandchildren in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6 says, Children's children are the crown of old men. Not that Brother Mark's an old man, but he sure knows the fulfillment of that verse, children's children. What does that mean? That means grandchildren. That means you just might be blessed, not only with some children, but you might be blessed with some grandchildren. And it says the children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their fathers. So it basically shows that the children's children praise the Lord. And also the fathers do as well. John chapter, the third John, chapter one, only one chapter, verse four. John says, here's what I get out of it. Here's what I get out of it as a godly father. Here's what I get out of it as a godly grandfather. This is what encourages me along the way. This is what encourages me to want to be the right example. 
This is what encourages me to want to be the right example of a, of a godly father loving the Lord. Loving my wife. Loving the children that God has given me. This is what encourages me to want to, to point them in the ways of the Lord. To direct them in the ways of the Lord. To pray for them day and night. To pray that God will, will touch their life. That He'll change their course. That he'll, that he'll keep them on the right path. That He'll help them along the way. John says, here's what I get out of it. He says, I have no greater joy. What's your greatest joy? What's the greatest joy that you have? You may say, well, I just got a new car. That's a great joy. That may be happiness, but I tell you what, you get a few miles on it, you take it to the mechanic, that'll go away. You get a new house, you may say, that's my greatest joy. You may say, I just got a, a, a brand new house. Well, well, I tell you, you, you tack a few years on that and you have to spend time painting it and repairing it and patching it up and all of a sudden, or, or make about 35 years of payments on it and that sort of hinders your joy a little bit. That's not where your joy is. You may say, well, I've had some wonderful accomplishments in my life. I've attained, I've attained a, a financial status that, that, that I've wanted to attain and that's where my joy is. John says, that's not the greatest joy on earth. He says, I have no greater joy on earth. I have no greater joy on earth than to hear that my children are walking in the right way. Now, children, that puts the responsibility on you. If you're not walking in the ways of the Lord that would honor the Lord, it brings about a whole lot of sadness and discouragement upon your family. You've got the responsibility, as much as your father does and your mother does, to direct you in the ways of the Lord. You've got the responsibility to walk in the ways of the Lord that it will honor your father. The fifth commandment that we're taught is the, uh, the commandment, the first commandment with promise. That commandment is that you honor your father and your mother. And he says, if you do that, he says, you honor your father and mother. And he says, that commandment is loaded with two promises. Number one, that it will be well with you. Number two, that your days will be long upon the earth. Does that mean you'll live to be 110 years old? That's not what it means. But it does mean that God's going to go before you and smooth the way out along the way. And you're not going to have some of those high mountains that other people have. And you're not going to have some of those low valleys. You're not going to have the difficult journeys that a lot of people have if you're honoring your father and your mother. And he says right here, John says, I have no greater joy. There's nothing that tops it than to know that my children are walking in the ways of the Lord. When it's all said and done, when it's all over with, at the end of your journey, if you can know that your children, by God's grace, if they're walking in the ways of the Lord, it's the greatest joy you can experience. John says it was to him. Now, 
for dads. Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 3, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if I may apprehend for that which I'm also apprehended of, of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I believe what Paul is saying right here is, I hadn't made that mark. I haven't loved the Lord with all my heart and soul, might, my mind, with everything that there is to me. I haven't loved the Lord perfectly. But Paul says, I've got that as my mark. I believe what he's saying right here. Paul says, I haven't, I count myself not to have apprehended. Wives, don't expect that your husband is going to be perfect. Paul says, I haven't apprehended it. I haven't made it there yet. But he says, that's my goal. That's my desire. That's my mark. I want to be like Christ. Paul says, that's where I have my sight set upon the Lord. Paul says, I haven't made it yet. I'm, I'm headed in that direction. I'm striving in that direction. Maybe you haven't been the perfect godly husband. But as long as you're pressing toward the mark of Jesus Christ as the example. It's amazing how Christ fills in the gaps. You may say, well, I hadn't been the perfect dad. He's not calling us to line up. And he's not taking a, a toll for all the perfect dads. So far, there's only been one. There's only been one that was perfect. that would qualify in this category right here. That would be a perfect individual. And it's not any of us. Let me say I haven't been the perfect dad. He's not calling for perfect dads. But what he's calling for are dads that are going to press toward the mark. Dads that are going to look to Christ. Dads that are going to lean on Christ. You may say, well, I haven't set the perfect example. I wish I could go back and I wish I could change some things in my life. I wish I could go live some. I wish I could live some times in my life over. I wish I could do some things different. I wish I could take some things back along the way. Paul says, this is interesting. Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind. There's a time to, there's a time to remember. There's a time to remember the blessings of the Lord and, and the mercies of the Lord. But there's also a time to forget some things. So maybe you haven't been the perfect witness as a godly husband, as a godly father, as a godly individual that loves the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. God's not calling us to be perfect. God's calling us to set our sights on the mark of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. The rest of that chapter is really, really good. But uh, for time's sake, we'll not, not read it. A godly father. 
pressing toward the mark. We've not mastered it all, but we have a great example that's set for us. Now, you may say, well, you just don't know my experience or my experience in life. I just didn't have in my life a godly example. Maybe you didn't have a godly grandfather. Maybe you didn't have a godly father. God knows what your situation is. But I tell you what, every single one of us here had the perfect example of our Heavenly Father. He cares for us. He provides us. For sure, He's long-suffering. He's there for us in our times of need. He loves us when we're lovable, and He loved us when we weren't. The only way that we've been made lovable is by His mercy and by His grace. And so, rather than claim an out that we haven't had maybe the the right example in our life, you have had the right example through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the perfect example of a godly, heavenly Father. And He loves us, boys and girls, men and women, young and old. He loves us to the end. Sometimes our love gets a little bit fickle. Sometimes our love is based on how much you do for me, how much, how much you do for me, how much I can see your love. Aren't you glad that's not the way that God loves us? I'm, I'm glad his love doesn't wane on us. But he loved us. He loved us from before the foundation of the world. And he'll take us on home to glory by his grace. And he'll love us there as well. You talk about the perfect example of a godly father. You've got it. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the mark that we look to. When we press toward the mark, we say, I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like my heavenly father. May God bless you.